Well, several years ago, my wife uh, went out and did a sleep study, Matt, and yes. she has been a chronic, uh, I don't know, bad sleeper since, I guess, since I've known her, like, you know, for a long period of time. And uh, she, I would tell her, um, and I have told her, and, you know, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but I believe her approach to sleep, uh, she does everything wrong. Like, she gets <laughs> in bed and watches TV, she gets on the phone, no. she, uh, sometimes she'll get the dog in the bed. Um, she'll wake up at night and then, you know, just like get on the phone, start doing stuff, can't sleep. Right. So, uh, I mean, I think, I don't know what else they tell you um, not to do. Yeah. Probably doesn't eat the right stuff before bed. I don't know if that's really true or not. So, but you know, so the whole point is that she, um, went and did a sleep study and I was like, well, I'll be interested to hear how that goes. Maybe they'll figure it out. And so she said she went to the thing and she got like, uh, you know, essentially all hooked up, wired up. Yeah, and then, you know, like she was sent in a room to sleep, and she got home extremely early from the sleep study, which I thought was a bad sign. I was like, she, like I don't know what time she went she <laughs> there at like maybe like eight or nine, ten o'clock. I don't know what it was. She got wired up, and then she got home. She was like home by like five or five thirty. She's like, Whoa. yeah, everything was good. They took it off, and and then she explained um, to me that it was very difficult to sleep during the sleep study because she had all these things on her. And yeah. there was like some sounds and things like this. So out of the sleep study came nothing. All the sleep study sounded <laughs> like to me was a night of no sleep. And they really just determined that she didn't have any uh, obvious medical problem, like something that was preventing yeah. her from sleeping. She, uh, they just basically sent her home. And, and since then, nothing has come from it. Now, that is a very long lead up to you are joining us the morning after your sleep study. So I wanted you to yeah. give us the Matt Ray sleep study experience how was it um it was uh it was fine <laughs> you're gonna love this you're going to love this okay nps survey at the end oh my god really <laughs> what? on the whole experience <laughs> yes oh my god oh, I, I mean i just about lost up oh. now it's all quiet i'm filling out like you know oh how did you sleep how does this compare to normal you know blah 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 um and then like at the end they're like you know would you like to get, you know, would you like to join our newsletter? Um, oh my gosh. And I was just like, oh, are you? Hold on, set this scene for people. Like you checked in, you slept okay. the entire night, and then this is at the very end, like you're on your yeah, way Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so, um, you, you, you know, check in, uh, you know, 7, 30, 8 o'clock, uh, you know, get get into uh, pajamas, and then they, they wire, I, they wire you up, they put like electrodes all over you, and, uh, um, you know, like goo in your hair and stuff. And then uh, they say like, hey, when you're, you know, do whatever you w normally do before you go to bed, uh, which uh, for me, um, it's not looking at my phone in my bed. <laughs> uh, it's not, you know, having uh, like, it was funny, the input question, I was like, you know, yes, you are allowed to bring alcohol. I was like, really? who like, like slams a beer before they go to bed or something? You know, I was like, um. No, no, so, let, me, let me jump in. Like when you check that, they cancel the sleep study and they call you. They're like, it turns out we we figured it out. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it was just funny that they're like, you know, yes, you're allowed to do that. And I'm like, okay, why? Right. They're like, but, come yeah. do your own thing, right? I so, you. so, you know, I just come, um, you know, get in pajamas. They they wire me up. Uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, look at my laptop for a while and, uh, you know, do some work, uh, read some stuff. And then I'm like, Hey, uh, I got my my uh, e-reader. I'm reading for a bit, and I'm ready to go. 
I, you know, let them know I'm ready to go to bed. And then they, you know, plug you in next to your bed and like turn off the lights. And then, you know, they, they're like, we have, you know, there's cameras in the room. They're watching you. They're measuring your breathing. you you know, all that's fun stuff. And as a person monitoring you during the whole time. Uh, it's being recorded. It's okay, being so recorded. It's video. Okay. So you're like in a hotel room um, being recorded. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, it's like a hotel, uh, you know, a hospital room. Because okay. it's got all the like, you know, wires and harnesses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, when, when you wake up, uh, you know, they, they tell you, you know, Hey, we're going to wake up at six. If you're not already awake. Um, I, I was already awake, which is part of the problem. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, they were you come actually in. Able to sleep though? It sounds like, did you actually get, I mean, I know you can't sleep well, but like, did you get your typical bad night of sleep? Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. it, it was, it was it was fine. It wasn't worse. I mean, uh-huh. it wasn't, it wasn't great. Cause like normally I like, I, I sleep on my back, then my side, then my stomach. And I just kind right. of flip around all night long. Uh, but I couldn't really sleep on my stomach cause I felt like I pulled the wires loose. So I, right. yeah, it was a little constricting. And then, you know, the nurse was like, you're a very restless sleeper. I was like, no shit. Um, but, uh, you know, so he, he pull, you know, pulls all the stuff off and, uh, uh-huh. you know, then, uh, you know, take a shower cause your hair is full of like, glue and uh then they bring you breakfast which uh-huh. uh uh was fine yeah you know, i mean it was it was just like very professional just very you know by the numbers but then you know there's a survey at the end like you rate your own sleep you know the whole experience you know and then they're asking questions about like how everyone did you know how was the check-in how was you know the parking right. how was, the typical know, stuff, blah, blah, blah. Right. and then it was like straight up nps on a scale of one to ten and I was just like, doesn't this seem gonna... like an awful use of NPS? Like, oh, absolutely. You're at a sleep study doctor because you cannot sleep. Like, why would you ask anyone? Oh, like, yeah. If, if they had a good experience, like, I'm here because I'm having a poor experience. Like, and I was like, like you know, this seems like mm, not the most egregious because there are many. Well, well uh, but this I, seems I, like I, a very bad use of NPS, right? I, I did not, I did, I did not choose to follow them on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I did not sign up for the newsletter. Um, I, you know, I was just like, it's, do they have a TikTok? Are they like, hey, watch this TikTok page? They probably do. better yet. Are they like, hey, can we put your uh, video out as a TikTok to recommend oh, our? Uh... Oh dear, oh dear. Um, <laughs> well, a little paranormal activity. Um, yeah, I, you know, they might have been on Twitter too. I don't know. I, I, I was just shocked at the Facebook and did you have NPS. To stay there and eat breakfast. You couldn't just come home. You wouldn't be like you. Okay. You could. You could skip it right. if you want. They were just like when you check in. They're like, "What would you like for breakfast in the morning?" Oh, and I was like, you know, if I'm there, I might as well. And you know, so got the the yogurt and muesli and coffee and. All right. So now, when do you get the results? Isn't that like a week later? You have to like, like seven to ten days. Or okay. So. so now someone's going to put it into a sleep bot AI, and they're going to like track your breathing or something and you're going to hear if it if it worked is that the next step uh yeah um uh yeah i mean they're they're you know they'll send the reports off to my gp and uh you know he'll figure out what next steps are you know so uh my my sleep has gotten exceptionally erratic and so uh uh they're you know trying to get to the bottom of that all right, I like it. All right, well, listen, we are all going to wish Matt uh, 
Uh, good luck on his journey with uh, sleep. And maybe he'll he'll report back what his doctor says, depending on what it is. But for all of those that can't sleep, um, this is what I would like you to do. While you're in, phone, uh, in bed on your phone, I would like you to go ahead and uh, download Software Defined Talk one more time and uh, just turn it on. Turn it on for you and your spouse or your loved one. And, uh, you know, maybe get a new listener out there because there's nothing in my house uh, that people like more when I just put on an arbitrary podcast to help go to sleep. So go ahead. Don't worry. I'm sure no one will complain. Everyone will really like it. So just download Software Defined Talk. And, and if your spouse is having trouble sleeping, doesn't work. Don't worry if we're not in tech. We, uh, especially when Kote's on, Kote has a really nice voice. In fact, we're going to, <laughs> what we're going to do is I'm going to have Kote just like read something. I'm going to, maybe we can get him to read one of uh, his things or practice one of his presentations. And we are going to designate that as the official software defined talk, uh, go to sleep episode. And so we'll get that and you just put it on and just, again, remember, remember to download, remember to download. That really helps us in, in the rankings. So, so good luck. Good luck to Matt and uh, look forward to um, Kote speaking and a monologue at some time soon. Yeah, well, we had some uh, news that we discussed last week, but I figured yeah. uh, we've had some development since then. So we had our good friends over at Docker. When we first uh, discussed them last week, they had uh, essentially canceled the free plan. People were upset, but uh, it seemed like they were going to stay with it. So now after that, they basically rescinded that. And here's the quote I'll read from the blog post that the CEO posted. So it says, quote, after listening to feedback and consulting our community, it's clear we made the wrong decision in sunsetting our free team plan. Last week, we felt our communications were terrible, but our policy was sound. It's now clear that both the communication, um, sorry, it's now clear that both the communication and the policy were wrong. So we're reversing course and no longer sunsetting the free team plan. So my question, Matt, because I think we had this this exact discussion. It's like, was it a communication problem and things like that? So. The part that I think is really interesting here is they basically originally thought it was just a communication problem, which I think you you kind of pointed out, right? Yep. They basically said that it, you know ultimately it was the strategy here. So, what do you think? What changed? What changed the CEO's mind? Why did the strategy here and the policy? Why did they basically say it's wrong? Because nothing really happened other than the feedback in the last week. It wasn't like some new business dynamic. It was like, oh, suddenly we figured out how to make money. It was just something along those lines. So what do you think? What do you think actually changed? Well, they, they, you know, they botched the, they botched the rollback, the, and, uh, you know, this is, I, I mean, it, it's, it, it's them. Um, they botched the rollback and they think that, well, you know, we can, we can reset it to, to, you know, the way it was before. And it's like, you can't, right. Um, you know, some bridges have been burned. Some of them are, you know, still on fire. Uh, and you, you're like, no, 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 the bridges are fine. You know, leave them there. But uh, I think a lot of people already moved. Um, I think one of the funny things uh, is that, you know, one of the louder complainers, uh, Alex Ellis, um, had already moved like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, the reason I want to bring up is like you and I, we've never worked in anything this magnitude, at least at least I haven't. Um, but I know when you and I worked together at an open source company, like, you know, we, we know how these things went. Like there's a meeting. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah there's yeah. an executive meeting. And it's like, yeah. And it's um, someone's putting out a plan like, hey, this is what we should do. Right. And then there's a lot of debate about it. And so in this case, it almost doesn't even matter. But I think it goes because I think the uh, the script is the following. Like we're going to change something in the open source project or to the open source community, right? Yeah. And it's going to be different and it's going to probably take something away. Something that 
is perceived as valuable to the community, right? So you're sitting in the room. Someone is saying, it's really important we do that because usually often it's sales saying it's really important because it's inhibiting our uh, opportunity to win new customers. That is typically what happens. Like there's a, a sales or financial person kind of pushing for it. Then there's the open source community leader or that group of the company. And they're like, hey, this is going to cause a lot of problems. And I don't think these people are going to pay anything, right? right? You're not actually losing any market share. It's probably going to cost you more in goodwill to make this change than money you think you can actually have. And then in the middle, you kind of have the CEO, the CFO, and maybe a marketing and a product person, right? And they're kind of like all over the, like, I don't know, that group is, if yeah. you will, the swing state with the CEO really holding the final vote, right? It's like, you know, and it just depends. Like, you know, if it's a small product change or it doesn't matter, the product people would probably be like, it's too much work to even like, let's not even mess with this because it's not going to do anything good for the product. The marketing no. people will probably be like, ooh, no. I don't like this because I think you're, I think you're huh? overthinking this. I, I really think you're overthinking this. I think someone made a decision and said, this is what we're going to do. It wasn't like open. For Who do debate. you think that was? That's my biggest question. Because oh, in the room, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know their org chart. It was probably, um, you know, somebody looked at the hosting numbers mm-hmm. and said, this isn't what we do anymore. And, you know, maybe, you know, it could have been like an engineering manager is like, hey, have you noticed this, you know, this, you know, million dollars a month or whatever? What do we get from that? And mm-hmm. then, you know, somebody, you know, probably at uh, fairly high executive levels, like, yeah, you know what? We got to cut this and said, you know, hey, just, you know, this is what we're going to do. He didn't like open it up for feedback because feedback would have probably said, you know, hey, this is going to have some blowback. Right. And, and the feedback would have would have said, Given there's going to be blowback, what do we do about it? And how do we, how do we, you know, tamp that down? How do we, you know, and, and the, the easy solution would have been like, you, you, you go very transparent. You say, look, look, Docker today, this is not our core business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, sh- shut down this thing in a year, right? Here are three viable alternatives right. and, you know, have fun. Uh, you know, thank you for your time with Docker, but this isn't our business. Unless, unless there, I, I don't really think, I mean, I assume that there's not a big business in just the straight Docker hosting, you know, the, the Docker hub business. Right. If they're not shutting that down, you know, maybe they thought this was some sort of loss leader that doesn't work well, but you, you, when you sunset something, give people time and, you know, and explain your rationale. Right. And then give them just kind of like, like, like this is, this they were is just like, hey, it's going, it's going well, fast. The original blog post, I don't know if this colors your uh, comments at all, but like the original blog post was posted under the name of the CMO. Right. And right. then the retraction was posted under the name of the CEO. So it clearly, you know, the CMO. So I just bring that up because like, okay, well, they clearly decided they were going to do it. And then, you know, of course, like, Someone else wrote all this stuff. I'm not under yeah. the interpretation or the belief that all these guys are writing this, but someone wrote this and then approved it, right? And they're like, okay, the CMO. And I think this is the place. Well, I, I mean, the CMO was probably the sacrificial lamb. Like, I don't bet you, yeah. in this case, I don't think the CMO would come up with this idea. Like, I don't think they're like, this is like the number one thing I should be creating awareness about the company is this. And then two, they probably were just like, well, someone, it's got to go under an executive byline. 
we're, we're putting you under and they probably read it and we're like, okay, it's fine. So uh, I just think it's, fu- it's funny that like, they're probably just getting all the blowback, but I bet you've had almost nothing to, to do with the decision itself. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And, and I think it is a good sign that the CEO put it out, the response, yeah. right? You know, it's like taking, taking responsibility is like, like, look, I'm here to claim this up. Well, I think it is for sure, right? And I think that's the, if you're going to make a mistake, or at least you determine, and this is what, this is reading from them, right? It's clear now that they were both wrong. So it's like, if you're going to make a mistake, the best thing to do is just own it and you yep. know try to rectify it. So credit to the CEO there. But I do think, I mean, I have a bigger question. I think if I was at the board of directors, you know, with the CEO, I think I would, I would ask the CEO some hard questions like, what went into this decision, Right. And why is the policy wrong? Because the other side of it was, because like I, you, know, you kind of opened up kind of saying what I was thinking too. It was like, the damage is already done. Like if they yeah. wanted out of this, they should have just like pushed through. It's like, you're not getting any, you're not going to win back the goodwill, right? right? You're just sort of like, you've already taken the pain. If you believe this is really important for you to get out of the business, great. Now, if something, and if it, the other thing about the policy, right, I guess I would like to know is like, if they suddenly determined, actually, hey, this free hosting is, great for our marketing because it you know but that should have know been about it. like sorted out before, that before right yeah and it's like so that's why i think this does kind of open up the ceo i think for some real like you know evaluation like you know you if if you you know you own these decisions right these decisions are yours and you know you're the one that and so credit to them for handling i guess the if you will the the blowback i think you know, might as well roll it back but uh i don't know really you know interesting decision making i guess the best way to say or like some really poor decision making i guess would, would be the way to say it and i yeah. i know because i do think you know it, you know just my uneducated guess here is that like whatever savings they would have gotten or potential sales from this is yeah. so overwhelmed by the bad publicity that it's you know in the end this well is a net loser for them i mean maybe <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of these like you know yeah maybe tempest, it doesn't matter right maybe, no. a lot of these tempests do actually blow over and don't leave a lot of permanent damage and so you know probably you know probably it'll be okay um but i don't think they're gonna they're not gonna get that goodwill back but i don't you know maybe it wasn't that as damaging as we think you know we don't know the numbers you know um obviously they they thought that they needed to roll this back for some reason Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe the numbers are compelling to them or they thought it was going to get worse. Uh, but it's, it's not, it just, it doesn't show a lot of foresight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think this just reiterates like a, something I think everyone already knows, especially in open source, like in the end, like never take away anything. Like really, I mean, like if you're going to take <laughs> or, away, or do it slowly, you got to do it slowly and you got to like, it'd be one thing if they were like, we're spending whatever, some arbitrarily huge number, like, and, and you know, like we're spending $30 million a quarter on this and it's huge. And, and you know, we can't keep doing this. We're running out of money. It's like, people are going to get that and just be like, yeah, like, you know, and you just, and you're also committed to like, it doesn't matter if you don't like it, we just can't afford it. So if you have that level of decision, of course, take it away. But all this other stuff, like the amount of time and effort that it consumes companies with and the amount of blowback. I mean, Matt, you have numerous examples of this. I know I've been in the room of like debating these small things that people want to take away that have no effect on the business, but like create so much bad goodwill. Yeah. So that's my, uh, my, my, uh, if, if you are, if you're running an open source company, just like, don't take anything away. And that's why you got to be so careful when you put things out, right. You got to really like, when you're putting it out, you're kind of putting it out forever. So, uh, we'll, well it's a commitment. I mean, you know, you can't just, you know, say, oh, you know, we're doing this and then we're not doing it. It's like, if you, 
so much of open source is tied to like goodwill and and you know commercial software like nobody cares you know your nps is always a six right but with like open source you're 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 you know you're subject to the whims of complainy people and and you know nothing is worse than having something free taken away from you um (laughs) and so you know you just have to like tread carefully always and i think that's like you you kind of hit the perfect word there it's like it's almost like you should if you're running an open source company you almost need to have like the word goodwill and like you know, maybe not MPS because we've been beaten on that one, but like some type of measurement or just something, some kind of feeling of it. Like, hey, what's our goodwill like now? What when are we dipping into the goodwill because we're making some changes that are upsetting people? And what are we doing to build goodwill? Right. And yeah. that, that's at the end of the day, right? If you're gonna go open source, that's what you're depending on. So no goodwill, no, you know, no good press if they will, if you, as they say. So all right, the other thing I thought we touch on a little bit of dissent here, just like I don't know, we talk a lot about work from home and things like that. So Amazon has come out. And they have officially, the head of HR has officially rejected the employee's return to office petition, which I think uh, surprises no one. Like, were you surprised to hear this? When, <laughs> when, he's, when they signed a petition, were you ever like, oh, that's going to get, um, that's going to change it? I, I never for a moment thought to myself this would have any know. effect. I don't know. I've been drinking a lot of world's greatest company or world's greatest employer Kool-Aid. Uh, no, I mean, no. Uh, it's... You know, they they made their decision, and uh, you know, uh, I you know, if 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 you, I, I've already seen, I've already seen one one resume uh, related to this, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, you know, but uh, you know, it's it's just you know the reality that HR and big companies are going to have to deal with is like, you know, some people don't want to work that way. And some people do. And, you know, Amazon will sort it out. And you know what? I bet there will be exceptions to the rule. There will be right. some, there'll be some know. self-selection, right? People, oh, absolutely. exceptions, and some people leave. And I thought, you know, the part that caught my eye here was a little bit interesting. So I guess the official response came from uh, the head of HR. And she said, uh, quote here, she said, the company is confident that the office work will increase the company's ability to deliver for customers, right? And, you know, my thought about this was like, maybe sometimes like we just as like, I don't know, employees or people at work, it's like, sometimes I think we're, we try to hold like these executive teams to maybe to a standard that isn't really possible. And also to the executive teams often like always want to like, you know, say the decision was kind of, you know, like, like it says here, make our customers, you know, um, you know, whatever, make our customers happy. And it's like, the truth is like, in my, my mind is like, there's, this is a preference thing. Like you can have a group of executives that say, we prefer to work, everyone work in the office. And like, they have the, you know, ultimate decision-making and I think it's fine. Like, you know, there's like, every time you join a company, a company has a whole set of preferences of the way that they do things. And you kind of have to decide if, you know, those are things that you can live with or not live with. And that's kind of like what it is working at a company. But like, I think sometimes it's hard when the company sort of like portrays every decision as like fact-based data analysis, analysis, backing up. Like there is no other. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of patronizing. They're like, this is best for the customer. Yeah. And it's like, that's really, you're not really, you know, it's like, you're kind of not engaging. I think you're right. You're not engaging on an intellectual level. Like, and I, cause I do mention a few things in there about like, Hey, they at least acknowledge that it will be difficult for some people. Um, obviously some people more than others, but I just, you know, I just think if I was sort of communicating this, I, and I, I don't know, I feels like, 
executives won't ever do this. It's like, just to acknowledge, like we have a preference. The executive team prefers everyone to be in the office. This is how we want to manage the company. And we want to find people that want to work in the office, right? I mean, you could go even further and say, you know, rather than like kind of like what you're alluding to is like, oh, people like quietly looking for jobs. You could go further and be like, in fact, we're going to offer some 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 type of packages, right? Like, hey, people, we need to reduce headcount and it may not work for everyone. Here, here's a separation agreement if you're ready to go. Like, that's crazy talk. I know, no, that would never happen. But like, well, but that, essentially, that's what they're doing, right? Like, they're doing they, it in a, kind of a quiet you know, way, Amazon right? had layoffs and yeah. then they, you know, pair it with, hey, uh, I mean, they've, you know, it seems like everyone's had a bunch of layoffs, you know, round, rounds and rounds of them. And, and this just kind of gets paired with that. And it's like, you know, hey, if you survived all these rounds and you were like, I'll just, you know, hang tight here at home. And now you're being told, you know, well, the writing was already kind of on the wall that, you know, you should always keep keep uh, the, the coals, you know, <laughs> coals hot somewhere else um, just just in case. But uh, I don't know. Well, like, and I think it kind of goes back to what you're saying here um, a little bit kind of ties back to our other discussion earlier around it's about goodwill. Right. It's like so if you're Amazon, you know, you are kind of reaching into the, the basket of goodwill here, because if you go read the core principles. Right. And, you know, an idea of that, you know. Amazon employees that the people they want to recruit are like, you know, highly motivated, challenge the status quo, all of AWS. That's really what I'm thinking about when I'm talking about Amazon, right? It's like the idea of like moving everything, you know, from data centers to the cloud and things like that. Like you are going to have a lot of people that think that way and that want to kind of, you know, challenge the way things have been done before. So, you know, working in an office is very traditional. So you're sort of like, you know, you're kind of asking this group of people that probably want to challenge the status quo in general not to challenge the status quo here. So you really are, as an executive team, depending on a lot of goodwill to get you through. And obviously, financial results, right? Like, hey, if the if the company's doing well and the stock's going up, you know, like like there's some famous quote from like, I think a football coach, like winning cures all like locker room yeah. problems. And, and that may happen here, but I do think it's interesting to watch. It's like how much goodwill has uh, AWS or Amazon sort of done here? And I do think though, but I do think the message matters. Like if you're going to come out here and say this stuff, right? Like, Oh, we know it's going to make our customers better. Then I don't know. You're you are, if you will, making it uh, harder for yourself down the road, right? When you, when you if you really, I don't know. It's almost like a parent, right? It's like, hey, if I'm going to say this and and people don't feel like it's genuine now, they may question your comments later when you think when you really are trying to be genuine. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, so much of yeah, it, it, it definitely has kind of a, a gaslighting kind of thing where it's like, oh yeah, we did all this, you know, for the the best. And like, you're just going to say that about everything you do anyway. So why say it? Because as an Amazon customer, I don't really care where your employees work. Yeah, nobody cares, right? Nobody cares. All right. And then the final one is uh, there was a long article here uh, from the New York Times about Apple. And we talked about last week, you know, about their uh, putting out the goggles. And, and this kind of reminded me a little bit of... Um, chef in the sense of like it sounds like there's a bunch of employees right who are like upset they don't think it's ready we talked about that we kind of all gave our opinion last week around that but the reason I, I i thought of chef here was like you know it's kind of back to like the people you're hiring are you hiring mercenaries or are you hiring you know like evangelists right and i thought i thought back to the story no sshjj tells about his interaction with chef right that he was working as an it person in some company i can't even remember what it was and he was, you know, trying to like having a lot of issues around configuration management. And he ran into Chef, as I remember the story, and was having some issues. And 
uh, I think Adam Jacob, the founder of Chef, like got was in the, uh, I think in that case, like an IRC group or something, right? And actually ended up helping him, right? Anyway, so like the story goes, and I heard a bunch, like if you ever went to ChefConf, like you heard a bunch of these stories. It was like, man, this this used to take like 17 years. And then I learned chef and <laughs> people helped me. And like, it was done in two minutes. Like, obviously that's an exaggeration, but it was something like that. But it created a, a t- I always think of chef. It created a ton of evangelists, like total convert, right? People yeah. that you could tell, like people's, I don't, you know, it's like too much to say lives have changed, but like work lives were significantly shifted, right? From kind of a very chaotic world to like something they felt they could really do. And you could tell, like, I'm going to go so far as like people truly love the product, right? And because of that, like when, <laughs> um, and that's good and bad, right? And it's like, but I think, you know, it's, and some of those people went on and that's where I was thinking of JJ, like, you know, chef hired him. I think you hired him, Matt, right? Yeah. Um, and like, and that's what you wanted. And so if you're hiring people that love the product, right? You are often going to, you know, get a lot of blowback when you're taking that product in a direction that people don't like, right? And that is sort of a function of the group that you've built, right? And the, you don't have to do it that way. You can obviously hire people that are sort of like, the, I always use that mercenary, sort of like, I'm just here, I'm a professional, tell me the future benefits of your product, I'll market it, I'll develop it, um, but I'm not gonna get too passionate about like, um, you know, if you, if you decide to do this or you decide to do that. And that, that comes with its own set of problems as well. So I just think with Apple, and I think it's interesting, kind of back to this idea of goodwill, it's like Apple, more than anyone, seems to really cultivate, you know, people that like, um, I don't know, like, I love Apple, I love the products, but like, I get it, like working there's probably a whole nother level of commitment, right? And it's like, yeah, if you go to this group of people that truly love the products to the point that they're like, you know, industrial designers thinking they're working on art, and you tell them, I'm shipping this product that they don't like, you're going to get a lot of blowback. So I don't know, <laughs> what, did I overstate the chef experience? Is that just uh, no, I mean, I, so much, so much of, of, you know, the chef experience was goodwill, right? It, I mean, there were, you know, we, we saw results of, of bake-offs where people are like, you know, oh, these products are a push, but the community was so much better. Or, you know, the, the help we got was so much better. Or people would be like, you know, hey, I'm willing, I'm willing to, you know, accept the perceived, you know, in, increase in complexity of chef versus other tools because, you know, when I have a question, I get answers when I, you know, people are always, you know, going that much further and, and great NPS scores, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, they're, they're, I mean, and, and that was, that was definitely an advantage, a strength of the company. And, um, you know, and of course it, uh, it got frittered away quite quickly um, by, you know, mercenaries. Um so, but, but as far as Apple's concerned, I think what's interesting is you actually don't hear from a lot of people who work at Apple. They are very tight lipped about what's yeah. happening. And so for us to be, I don't know, hearing cracks in the facade, there, there must be some serious discontent uh, about the state of this product um, or, you know, perceived state of it. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, because when they do release something, you know, if they release something, when whenever they release something, it's going to make waves. And, you know, whether it's the best selling in the, the feature space, um, uh, you know, everyone will copy what they do. And, and so, you know, everyone just expects whatever Apple does is going to change, you know, the perception of, you know, AR, VR, whatever. Um, 
because everyone expects them to do right. <laughs> and if something gets shipped half baked, it's you know, it's so much goodwill is just lost because they're like, Apple, we were counting on you. <laughs> I agree. And I think because um, right now it sucks. Yeah, and I, I think you're uh, exactly right because uh, you know Tim Cook, and so this is kind of back to you know I think a, I don't obviously money wise Tim Cook could go on to be I don't know, one of the greatest CEOs of all time, um, but I think this is like he ultimately is if you are putting a lot of his goodwill on the line, right? Like if this thing comes out and it's bad, he's going to have an endless um, a series of people tell telling him I told you so, right? And now if it comes out and it's great, you know it'll be his crowning achievement and. I don't know. I think he's already super rich, so he can be super rich with yeah. one more great achievement. Uh, but it, it, it is one of those things, though. But also, too, it's like I think if you're Tim Cook and you're honest with yourself, it's like, well, I mean, I hired – this is a group I hired, right? And kind of this kind of goes with Amazon, too. It's like I've hired evangelists. I've hired people that are deeply committed to it. That's what I want. And in both of these cases, like at times, I'm going to have to deal with a lot of different blowback. So it'll be fun on both these things to watch, right, as we kind of go. It's like obviously – I think we'll kind of quietly see if Amazon rolls back, you know, there's some like quietly change the policy. That'll be real interesting to know. And in the Apple case of Apple, it's just a high profile thing. We're going to watch, like, we're all going to see it. And like, we're all going to go to the Apple store at some point. We're going to put the the goggles on and we're either going to be like, this is, this is crap. Or we're going to be like, Whoa, we had no idea it could be this good. Like we clearly had lack of imagination. It's better than I want. I ever thought it would be. Here's $3,000. Well, yeah, here's, here's your safest bet. I won't buy it in the first year. <laughs> True. Well, that's a good question. When, when is the first, oh, I guess you're a bad person to ask. So, yeah, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask. Right? That's probably like iPhone seven or something for you. You waited a while. No, no. I, I think my first one was a three G. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but same thing here. I waited the full year to get the iPhone 3G, and now I look back like, why did I waste time? I should have just immediately got it. But uh, you know, people forget like at the time it was so expensive. It seemed so expensive. It was like three hundred dollars for a phone, and it's like, no, like I don't pay for anything for a phone. They give it to me for free, or they give. Yeah, me well, free. and like, yeah. it's just crazy. Now I look back on it like, oh, you know, now here I am like spending like I don't know what the last one I bought was like I don't know over a thousand dollars, and Whoa. I didn't even blink. I was just like, yeah, I need that. So, all right, well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, what happens with all the dissent and it'd be it's some fun stuff for us to watch as we go forward. Now, as we always say here on uh, software to find talk, we're always looking for questions. So we got a good one from Andrew this week uh, in the Slack. He asked um, in relationship to the story. So Disney is reportedly eliminating its metaverse uh, division in its first round of layoffs. So Andrew asks, yeah. where uh, do we think the metaverse sits in the tech adoption life cycle? And when do we think it hits an inflection point uh, to majority adoption. All right, Matt, what do you think? What's your, what's your take? Um, well, you know, I, I, can, can you have more than one trough of disillusionment? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you can have it like more, you can have them. I would say you can revisit it over a series of a period of years. I don't think you can be in it. Like, I don't think there's like an extra deep uh, trough of disillusionment, but maybe I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think, I mean, it, it's similar to like, um, AI where AI was the hype for 60 years. And, you know, to the point where, you know, it was always right around the corner and you had, you know, AI winters. Um, You had, you know, hype cycles that just, you know, blew out and nothing happened. But like, honestly, I feel pretty, I I, I think we've kind of hit the the turning point. Uh, You know, I'm not like breaking news here. I, I think that's kind of hit the turning point, but 
I feel like AR, VR, it's like people have seen cool things and neat demos. And then the reality always just kind of sucks. And so um, I think, you know, we are far from majority adoption. Um, I'm, 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 I I would hesitate to guess that uh, uh, I I said we're probably 10 years from majority adoption. Yeah. I think we should almost have like a different uh, category here. Like, I think we should just call it like tech too soon. Right. It's just like, it's not like some things are just bad ideas. Like you finally get there and you're like 3d TV. Yeah. You're just like, it's 3d TV. (laughs) No one believes 3d TV is coming back, but I think we could also have, because we have lots of examples now where it's like, Oh, this was a good idea. But the yeah, technology yeah. and the conditions aren't ready. And it's like, and obviously, you know, we just talked about Apple, so they're going to try, but Google's given up. I think we've all seen the meta um, version of this. And it does kind of have the, that kind of feeling of like the giant tablet table that was first shown where it was like, oh, we're all going to have these giant tablets that yeah. are, I guess, or no, interactive t- like desk, right? Like there right. are these movies and it's like, uh, no, it was just way too soon. Like what we're going to have is a, a tiny phone that we carry around and you, well, you or, have- or, or, you know, and, and, and tablet laptops that, you know, have touchscreens on them now. And so it's like, we ended up picking up a lot of those ideas and taking them forward. Uh, it's just, it wasn't that vision. And yeah. I, you know, and at the time it was, you know, a good demo, but not a good product and, you know, or not a good experience. And so I think, I think, uh, I think AR VR will come. I, I mean, I, I think it's inevitable and, you know, and I, and I, I feel like there's probably a strong AI tie there where you have, you know, some sort of, you know, Jiminy cricket on your shoulder, giving you like feedback about what you're seeing and, and, you know, popping things up for you. And it's, you know, that, I think that's compelling. I think that's interesting. I just, you know, I, I, I think people's willingness to like buy into that, uh, it's going to have to be, um, yeah, it's, it's going to have to be a lot better than it is. Great. So, all right. So Andrew, so I think the net net is, uh, no time soon. And I think, and I really think in this case, it's not so much like people getting, um, exposed to it and learning about it. I think it's just fundamentally the technology is too soon. And now we should timestamp this because, uh, Apple's going to release their, um, you know, their big thing in June. And so, uh, if it goes on to be worth billions of dollars, I'm going to go back and edit this out. I'm going to delete all of this. So, uh, all right. Well, listen, you know, final thing here, Matt, I thought we, we talked about it. So we've talked about maybe some more pessimistic things, um, but like, you know, you, you found this link about cheating is all you need. And it was all about kind of like, you know, artificial intelligence kind of written from the perspective of an engineer. And I think, I think the kind of the takeaway, and I think the first part of it recommend everyone read the article was sort of like, so much of like people with technical engineering mindsets are very skeptical of things and there's lots of reasons and we all get reinforced about why that is. But like, I thought he had a pretty optimistic take, like AI yeah. actually, and really what I'm saying that I'm talking about, you know, chat GPT and LMs and stuff like that is uh, maybe even bigger than, than we think about, like, you know, and he even cites like, Oh, he once predicted Amazon would be worth $150 million. And today it's like, uh, I don't know, over a trillion. Yeah. So, um, so I guess, so I don't know what, what were your thoughts? Like what jumped out at you in this article? Um, this, this is a good article from Steve Yagi. Uh, so, you know, pretty much anything he writes is worth reading, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is good. Cause he does, he's not, doesn't write a lot right yeah Yeah, he doesn't write a lot but when he does you know uh take the time um and and his point was like the state of ai is really good um and he gives an example of you know in natural language you know requesting an emacs uh 
you know, plugin and like chat GPT doing it. You know, it's like, I want you to do a pop-up window that, you know, publishes some text and, you know, highlight everything with an eye in it and red. And I was like, wow, I, that was, that was very, very compelling. Um, and what he's kind of pushing back on is, you know, serious developers saying that, um, you know, AI generated code isn't good code. And his point is, well, you know, serious developers, we've always had bad code. And, you know, pretty much everything we do in software engineering is to protect ourselves from bad code, right? Rather, whether it's, you know, code scanning to packaging to, you know, different uh, abstractions and frameworks, it's like we're trying to protect ourselves from poorly written code. And so his, his point is like, well, if, if this can handle a lot of boilerplate, you know, we can, you know, continue to move on uh, to letting, you know, getting the 80% of the, the, you know, scud work out of the way and we can focus on, you know, the more compelling stuff and continue to reinforce all those other tools. Like nothing, nothing's really going away. And then, then he pivots a bit to talk about, you know, how uh, large language models work and how like almost everybody doing this is kind of doing it the same way. Um, You know, the, the technique behind chat GPT is it's not particularly like, I mean, it, it's 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 quite compelling and stuff, but like everyone doing AI right now is doing it the same way. And his you know takeaway from that is like the way that you become better at this than your com- competition is by having bigger data sets, which definitely is going to skew towards you know the big cloud providers, people with like large sets of data already. But um, you know, it, it's it's a good article where he you know kind of talks about like, hey, it's great. It's actually, it's great. It's going to keep getting greater. Here's where it's going to plateau. And, you know, the winners in the AI space are going to be the ones with the most data. And, you know, but the cool thing is you can train these things really quickly with relatively small sets of data. So as a programmer, like you can train it up to be really good at Emacs Lisp or, you know, Tailwind CSS or, you know, whatever your fra- favorite framework is, you're going to get really good tools. So that's, it's, it's a very optimistic article and he's right. I mean, you know, you're already starting to see a lot of stuff. You know, the caveat of course is like, just like always, you know, you need judgment and, you know, um, everything that comes out of chat GPT is always fully confident that it's the best thing that could be written. And, you know, uh, I, I've seen a lot of, co- you know, comparisons saying, well, chat GPT is like mechanized mansplaining. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's Which is true. I like that. Mechanized right? um, but, 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 you know, as, you know, as, uh, you know, a seniorish developer, like I remember when I was younger thinking like, oh, the compiler must be wrong. Right. And now like when you make a mistake, you know, you assume never it's something I did. It's never, it's never the yeah, underlying right. tools, right? And so, um, and you learn to like ask a lot more questions and, you know, have better probing uh, things. And so um, the skepticism should not be at the tools. It should be in, you know, reading through and understanding what the results are. Yeah, I guess that's my big takeaway is I've been using, um, you know, I guess Bing chat. I don't know what the right word is. And I, I'm amazed. Like, I just kind of leave it open now as like a little tab there. And I use it all the time to like, you know, ask questions, like, especially for things like I used to use Google for. I mean, it's for sure it's happening. And uh, 
I think, you know, the biggest thing I, I think about, like the thing that we talk about that I think we've been pretty down on for the entire time of this podcast is any type of low code tool. Like it's like drag a box and like connect arrows or use this fancy like WYSIWYG interface to code. And it's like, no, none of that is right. This is the way you do it. You just like, especially if you're just doing kind of like, I'm going to call them like, uh, like kind of like small, like internal coding things like, Hey, like, uh, like give me, uh, you know, if you will, something like almost you doing a spreadsheet. It's like, you know, uh, give me a table from this data that tells me X, Y, Z. Right. And it's like, yeah, this is what people want. They don't want to like draft boxes around. But I I think low low code is probably going to be subsumed by AI. What's what I mean? Like this is, I mean, I mean, I mean, the low code code. is is going to be a text interface where you say, I want this and I, you know, here are the inputs, here are the outputs, do this to it. I, you know, I'm not going to have to learn, you know, some whizzy. Yeah, yeah, this is, I mean, you just yeah. want the natural discussion. So it's like, yeah. So we can almost just cross low code off and be like, yeah, done, <laughs> sorry, low chat, code. You know? So that's gone from <laughs> um, trough of like disillusionment to like, yeah. Uh, plateau of productivity. It's like, yep. Just go uh, fire up your chat GPT and ask a question. So, yeah. well, you know, we're not going to get to it this week, but I thought there's a good article about um, how Surrey Alexa and Google assistant lost the AI race. And I think it is really interesting because we talked about all this virtual reality and stuff like that and augmented reality, but here we've had these other, um, you know, bad voice assistants now for like, I don't know, at least 10 plus years. And it was interesting, you know, sometimes it's just the wrong time. So it's like all these people trying to build glasses. Sometimes I'm just thinking to myself, like, why don't you just make these, uh, um, voice AIs that we've had that are so bad. Like, I mean, they're so awful, especially once you've used any chat GPT. It's like, I think they're universally, I know people say Google is the best, but like Surrey, Alexa, Google, they're all awful. So it's like, Hey, there's a where there's a place to start. Don't build any glasses. Just make, uh, make it easy for the playlist to actually play on my phone. When I ask Surrey, uh, it seems more than uh, possible now that we have that out there. So if you want to dive into that, I, I recommend checking that one out. And, uh, of course, if you would like a sticker, uh, what you can do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you uh, stickers anywhere in the world. Also, Matt doesn't even know about this. We're going to have a very special after show. Matt's not going to be on it. Got a special guest for the after show. So uh, they wanted to come on and talk about some stuff that we had maybe gotten wrong that maybe Matt had gotten wrong. So you have to listen to the after show, which will happen. <laughs> You're going to hear Matt say, like, bye or something like that, and then you hear a little... You hear a little sound and then you'll hear the after show. So stay tuned if oh, you want. Wow. And if you're burnt out, you're like, all these, these people don't talk about tech enough, then don't listen to that because there's, there's very little tech talk in after show. So you should, you should check that out if you're interested. Conference is coming up. Matt and Cote are going to be at a KubeCom EU. That's April 18th through 21st. I'm sure they'll do something live and in person. Find Matt, make him give you a sticker. There's DevOps Days Birmingham in Alabama, Roll Tide, War Eagle. That's April 20th and 21st. And then finally, DevOps Days Austin is coming up. That's May 4th and 5th. Now, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation this week is uh, a rather long podcast episode. Um, Dan Carlin, the guy behind Hardcore History, um, has a a podcast called Hardcore History Addendum. Um, so first off, <laughs> if uh, if if you like uh, Hardcore History, uh, if you like history, um, that's just like the best. Uh, but the addendum is is usually like uh, stuff that doesn't really fit into you know it's it's interviews with people or whatever um the latest episode is uh him talking with Rick Rubin the music producer oh, yeah. and 
Um, I'm two hours in. <laughs> he wow. doesn't do anything short, but it's it's a it's a it's a fascinating conversation. Um, and uh, you know, I, I've you know just they they cover a lot of different topics about you know the creative process, and they talk about AI. They talk about um, you know all, all sorts of other stuff, but uh, uh, just a really good round conversation that uh, you know if you're not a fan. Um, it's not like a lot of the other stuff, but uh, it, it's it's definitely worth a listen. All right, and also you want to plug your 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 recent uh, appearance here at uh, a scale. You, you... Oh yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you know, some some sharp eyed YouTube uh, uh, viewer um, saw that uh, Scale has published um, the recording of my Kubernetes cloud c- Kubernetes cloud cost monitoring with open cost and optimization strategies talk. So uh, that's in the show notes. If if you miss me at scale, um, uh, there's a recording. Watch on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And that's like the most SEO optimized headline I think I've read in a long time. You've got them all in there. you got everything. So if, if you can't find that in Google, I, I don't know. You're not trying. So watch watch Matt Ray dazzle you about managing cloud costs. Um, my recommendation this week is uh, Duolingo, right? So I live here in Texas, been here a long time. So of course, in high school, where I didn't live in Texas, I took French, completely useless <laughs> language. I've never used French for any reason. I don't know why I took it. But Bonjour, everyone amigo. speaks Spanish. Like my son speaks Spanish. You know, it's, it comes in handy. So I, I finally was like, all right, I'm going to like at least build my Spanish vocabulary. So I'm on Duolingo. I'm doing the Spanish and I love it. I was like, I was telling my son, I was like, this is like the best homework ever. Like when, you know, when I was doing this, like we had to read the book and then do like the stupid worksheets and like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was hell. Like Duolingo is kind of like a game and I've totally bought off on it. So, um, so I'm doing it. And I also think it's like a good replacement for like, if you want to go to your phone and like waste a few minutes, uh, I actually just like, instead of like going to social media or something else or playing like a, just a regular game. It's like you can get on Duolingo, build your vocabulary, learn a little yeah. bit of that. So I, I really like it. So um, I'm doing Spanish. My son's way ahead in Spanish, but I've threatened because he's just started Mandarin. So I feel like there's, we're closer in that level. Maybe I could like compete with him in Mandarin. So I don't know about any of the other languages. I assume they're all really, really good. It seems like my, my it. son has been just cycling through languages for fun. So he's done Japanese and Spanish and French and, you know, uh, apparently it stops somewhere that uh, the free tier ends. So I think he's just going through free tiers. <laughs> I like that's, you know, it's funny you say that. Cause my son also said that like, sometimes they get a sign, like do Duolingo, uh, but they can, some, they just, they can do any language that doesn't like constrict them. So sometimes he said, he said sometimes him and his classmates, they do other languages. It's like, yeah, fine. Like, like I'm not going to yell at the kid. I can't believe you're spending time learning another language. That's so bad. So, <laughs> what are you ever going to so, do with uh, Korean? Yeah. So I like it. I think it's good. And also like, I'm not someone that's particularly good at learning languages. And I think the way they do it is real fun. So if you're looking for something uh, fun to try, try a dual link up. And with that, we will speak to you next time. Bye. All right. Today, joining me for a very special after show is Barton George. Uh, you re- may remember Barton for his interview that Cote did on episode 393, where he went over the history of Project Sputnik. And he also uh, works over in Dell in developer relations. But today, he is joining us as our official Hawaiian correspondent of Software Defined Talk. Uh, if we go back to episode uh, 403, 
I asked Matt Ray some questions about Hawaii, as everybody knows. Shameful, shameful, but go ahead. Matt Ray doesn't know anything about Hawaii. Barton, you reached out to me and you said you want to set the record straight on th- some things about Hawaii. So I'm having you on the special after show. So we can. Yeah, all- I mean, if you're going to use Matt for Hawaii, I'm going to use me for Australia, right? I've seen it on TV. Uh, you know, I've watched, uh, you know, Crocodile Dundee. So that makes me an expert, right? So, That's right. Uh, we want to get natives. Or in this case, at least people who have lived in the area that we're talking about. And Matt Ray, of course, did not qualify. So let me let me start here quickly and get your uh, your bona fide. So how much of your life have you spent in the Aloha state and uh, how does it shape you as a person? Pardon. So, so far, it's been more than I've lived any other place. So it was zero to 18 and I go back uh, relatively regularly and the most I guess Austin now, let's see, and we do the math of 14 years in Austin. So it's it's still the place I've lived most. Um, I think it's a big part of my identity. It's definitely a big part of my Twitter handle, uh, Barton808, which is not Casio. It is the area code for Hawaii. Right. Um, I think it's a it's an amazing place to grow up. It's Here's a fun fact to know and tell. Which two U.S. states are allowed to fly their flags at the same height as the U.S. flag and why? Well, listen, I've often heard Texas is one of the answers, but then I've also then heard that that is not actually correct. So I don't know, like set the record straight on this, uh, on the whole flying the flags at, at the, the same uh, heights. I don't, I don't really well, know what this. Well, Brandon, you've come to the right place because okay. the answers are Texas and Hawaii. Okay. Why is that? Because they're the only two ones that were their own uh, sovereign states. Oh. Right? So, there, so there was the kingdom Hawaii and then uh, Texas was... I defer that to, I, I put that back Yeah, to Texas you. was like five different things. It was, I don't know. It was been part of yeah, multiple countries. Yeah, that's why it's called five and, flags, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of things. Six flags. Okay, so now what, now, so that's awesome. So you lived there growing up. So I don't know. I mean, I think everybody probably thinks about growing up in Hawaii or like, it seems like paradise. So like, what are, what are the highs and lows of, of growing up in Hawaii? Um. Well, you know, when you're growing up, you're, that's all you think. I mean, you don't know anything else. But I think one of the things I really like is just the fact that it is very multicultural, much more so, I would say, than any other place. If you look at the population, what would you guess the population of uh, white folks are? Haoles, as we'd say in, in Hawaii. Like the percentage? I don't know. Yeah. Like 30%? Is that? Yeah, about 25. Okay. Pretty so, close. I mean, nowhere else in the U.S. do you have such a, um, uh, are, is the population dominated by non-whites? In fact, I was just looking at my high school on um, like niche.com that, that you know ranks them and stuff. And it said uh, percentage of minorities, 75%. Which seems to be a, a a little bit of an oxymoron. If you're, <laughs> yeah, it seems like opposite. If you're right? if you're seventy five percent, you're not a minority. But I think that's one of the things that that makes it most interesting is that you have this amalgam of all the different cultures that have have come there, uh, and particularly you see this in the food. Uh, you see it in some of the local pigeon language, um, and so I think that's the part that that makes it particularly interesting. Plus the fact that it's it's got this history that it started as a, well, there's several different, uh, they had warring chiefs and then King Kamehameha the first um, united them in a uh, big fight where he came over to Oahu. He was the King of Kauai, pushed them over the Pali, which is a big, um, uh, what you call it, cliff. 
to their deaths, and then he united he united the the uh, islands, and then it went from it went from kingdom to let's see if I get this right kingdom to republic to territory to state. I think are the the ways that it, it passed into it, and I think one thing's interesting. At one point, it was sort of a flip of the coin between whether it would go to Russia, Japan, the UK, or the US. And in fact, if you look at, and a lot of that has to do with the whaling trade, because it was right smack dab in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So that was sort of a hub for folks who were from all over the world who were, who were uh, whaling in the, in the Pacific. Um, and then if you see the flag, it does have the Union Jack in the corner. Because oh, okay. it was mm-hmm. by the Western world, it was discovered by um, Captain James Cook in right around the time uh, we became a country. So 1775, something gotcha. like that. Uh, he also went down and so now we can bring in Matt Ray and found uh, I was going to say everything Australia, goes back to New England. Zealand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, the so, end, in the end, it always goes back to. All right. No. OK, well, then give me this. Then it's like so I think during the pandemic, I, I believe myself included, um, Everyone fantasized about, well, I'm, I'm working remote now. What if I lived in Hawaii uh, and, and did remote work? So maybe paint a picture of like, what is the reality of that dream versus, versus the dream? Like what, what would it really be like to work remotely in Hawaii? One thing is uh, first consideration is how asynchronously can you work, right? So for example, I had a friend's dad who worked at the stock exchange in Hawaii. I think he had to get in it get up at three, be in the office at four, whatever it would take to get ready for the bell uh, in New York. And so you are, if you had to work a job where you had to be on calls at whatever time, nine in the morning, and that's true with all sorts of places around the world, because we all do, uh, we have calls with folks, Asia, Europe, Australia, et cetera. But that's, so that's one potential downside. So it's basically time zone. Are you willing to work in East coast or West coast time zone, depending on like your center of corporate uh, gravity? That would make sense. Okay. I like that. Right. And so there's, Mm -hmm. and there's time zone. We don't, uh, we don't switch uh, clocks there. So in the winter time, it's, it's a dream. No daylight savings. Oh yeah. No, it's a dream. They've achieved the dream. We need, Hawaii needs to bring that to the mainland. I don't know how how we import that one policy from Hawaii, maybe other but I would, I'm in favor of that. I mean, it makes it tricky when you're trying to remember calls, you know, when is it, is it, cause it's five hours or six hours to the East coast, depending yeah. on the time of year. Um, but yeah, that makes it so much nicer. And then you get as far as the amount of light you've got, it really doesn't change that much. Maybe in mm-hmm. winter, it's sort of darkish around, gets dark around five 30 and maybe seven 30 in summer. Right. So it's not this big swings that you see here. Um, or I lived in, in Edinburgh now. What for about a while, like I think most people, difference. it's the beach, right? That's what everyone's thinking of. So I, you know, many places where um, people live, there'll be something famous or some great activity. But then you often find when people live there, they don't do it. Like you know, uh, examples would be like I always ask people in Denver, "Oh, do you ski a lot?" They're like, "Ah, oh, no. It turns out I don't ski. I broke, I hurt my knee, or it's, the mountains are a little bit too far. We don't get to it." If you live, live in Washington D.C., oh, do you get down and see the monuments and do a lot of stuff? No, I live in the suburbs. Right? You know, we all have heard this kind of story where it's like at some point uh, where you live, you just kind of get used to it, and maybe you just kind of like you don't really do it. Now Hawaii, though, seems like wow, like. I mean, you have the yeah, best I mean, beaches the, in the, the world. Beach is part of, the beach is just part of, you know, integrated into your life. And whether mm-hmm. you you go and you spend, I mean, you've got a job, you're not down there every day, but, you know, on the weekends you go and just to go and, and, and jump in the water. In fact, I was back from when I was at school in the East Coast, I came back and was down at one of the beaches during 
Christmas and a friend of mine came out of the water and she had just finished her work day and was going for a, you know, a mile swim or whatever it was. And I just right. thought, wow, yeah, there are definitely reasons that, that you might want to be here where you could just get off, you know, finish your work day and in December and just go down and, and swim for a half hour. Yeah. I like as, it as part mm. of your, your uh, routine. So I think that's something that's great. The other thing is that you can't go anywhere without seeing the mountains, right? The mountains are very close and there's always great hikes that you can do uh, of different levels of difficulty. And I know when I first, I, uh, I went to New Jersey for a, um, right after high school and it just freaked me out. It was so flat. I mean, the fact that you cannot <laughs> see mountains anywhere, just, it really wigged me All out. Right, so wait, wait, I think we have an exclusive here. What you're saying is Hawaii is much nicer than New Jersey. Okay, I think don't I, don't tell them I said that because that's, that's like, something that I most feel, people don't know. I feel like it's a safe uh, a safe thing that we can say. All right. Well, but what about the downsides? I think the traditional downside to here is like a little bit island fever. People say you kind of get I don't know being on an island all the time is a little too confining. Is that true or false? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely subjective, but it's you know when, particularly zero to eighteen, you don't really care. I mean, we would go to the mainland for. Uh, maybe summer, vi visit friends, do things like that. But, um, and it's still a flight. You just sort of get used to it, right? So LA is maybe, what, five or six hours? Right. Um, and if you build that in, then that's, that's okay. But you're not going to be able to, I mean, from here too, though, right? We're in Austin and it's not as if we're going to. Right. Uh, but there's no driving. You drive, I was going to say this. Drive, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't like just uh, pile the the family in the uh, the Winnebago and you know head head across country. Like you gotta like you gotta plan some. You're, there's gonna be a flight involved. Now, what about the islands themselves? Like, uh, there are different opinions about different islands. Is there like if we're recommending to someone they're 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 going to move? They're gonna they worked out the remote job. They picked the time zone. Which island would you recommend? So actually okay, on? once again, very subjective. So during high school, I worked as a uh, doorman at a or you know a front guy at the hotels. And I would talk to the, the folks there who at the tourists. And oftentimes if people come to Oahu, which is where I grew up and it's about 80% of the population, they would go island hopping and I'd ask them how they liked it. And they said, well, you know, we went over to Kauai and then they roll up the sidewalks at eight o'clock at night and it was so boring. Mm -hmm. Or you'd hear people saying, oh man, we went over to Kauai and it was just gorgeous. None of this Waikiki loud kind of uh, partying stuff. So I think that's a big part of it is do you want to be somewhere that is a lot less, um, there's a lot less to do, which could be good or bad. Um, so you're not going to go out to, to clubs. And I think Hawaii still is liquor. Well, at least when I was, it was a liquor license was you get for two or four in the morning. So it's definitely something that you could, you could be up late. Um, and the other thing too, is the, it's really easy to get between islands. It's like 45 minute flight. So it's not as if you live on Oahu, you couldn't go for the weekend in, in Kauai or Maui. And, and even within well, what Maui. Is, let's do this. What is your preference? Where would you, which island? Oh, definitely, definitely Oahu. Oahu? That's where my, my family is. Plus, if you know it, you know where you can go that's more, um, that's less built up. Although that's becoming less and less every year. But still, there's areas that you can go that really aren't um, as packed. But then there's all the fun stuff to do of a, of a bigger city. Okay. Um, now, kind of to that point, now maybe I want to not just work remotely, but uh, I would like to get maybe some type of job in Hawaii. So beyond tourism, which I think is the obvious one, like there's obviously a huge tourism industry. Are there any 
uh, other unique industries to Hawaii, uh, maybe any specific digital transformation type project that would be unique to Hawaii that someone should investigate to be like, oh, I want to go get involved in doing X. And I know Hawaii's got, has that industry. You know, I think some of the stuff and that I've come across this in, in my career in businesses, uh, in the tech is the Navy is out there. Right. And mm -hmm. so you have a lot of big, um, efforts there to how do we, how do we modernize? How do we digitalize the, how do we transform our business? So it just happens to be one of the biggest places where the Navy is in the U S. Uh, and so you, you would see, um, there would be it type work out there. Um, you know, other than that, um, Gosh, there was somebody who, I can't remember, someone at UH, University of Hawaii, I don't know if it was Rails or I don't know what it was, something that was actually, that, that, we, would, that we would all know came from somebody there. Um, but it's not known as that, well, actually, you know what? Right, of course, DHH been mentioned on the show many times recently. He has a house in Hawaii now, or, or at least a thing. So like, that would be, you could go over there, I guess, if you're uh, interested in uh, moving all your servers out of the cloud, you could go yeah, talk well, to DHH. It, you know, Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, uh, uh, about, about Steve Case, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up down the street from Steve Case. And Steve Case, if you don't, this for is those of AOL. you younger, mm -hmm. he is the guy who, yeah, yep. he's Mr. AOL and bought Time Warner. And so he's there. He was born and raised there. He's not, he is a um, trustee on, uh, on the board of my high school, as well as Pierre Omidar, who is, of course, of eBay, right? Yeah, Way yeah. Back in the and day. so he went to he went to my high school as well. Um, cases, but bit younger. Much, I mean, a bit older. Uh, Omidar is a lot younger, and but yeah. So there are people yeah. like that who well, are. Well, we should also who, mention. I think Larry Ellison is famous. I think for spending. Oh, yeah, he time bought in an Hawaii. island. Yeah, it, well, then, he bought an island, right? Lanai, yeah, I don't so. know. I guess it's different. He's in a whole nother level. And then. Um, over at uh, Salesforce, right? Mahalo, right? That's the whole thing from Salesforce. Uh, Mark Benioff, like he, I think, I don't think he's from Hawaii. I think he just uh, has an affinity towards the culture in Hawaii. So, so maybe, yeah, it, maybe that's the well, thing. Maybe you need to become um, chief of staff for Larry Ellison or um, some other famous tech executive living in Hawaii. That sounds like well, a good Yeah, job. and that's, that's true. And on, on the big island, so if you read Michael Dell's book, he talks about one of his when he was putting together or con considering the deal with EMC, um, and I forget the gentleman's name from Silver Lake, who lived like at a house just right near him on the Big Island, mm -hmm. and they would they talked about a walk they took, um, <laughs> and discussing about you know how we might how we might do this, what you know what are some of the angles, etc. So yeah, you could actually. Okay, so if you're a billionaire and you want to um, be neighborly with other billionaires or people worth millions of dollars doing transactions, it sounds like being in Hawaii. It's really a oh good yeah, place. oh no, it's it's you know it's I just sort it. of that around the Hawaiian water cooler, as it were. You just happen to see your fellow billionaire and you start thinking up crazy ideas. All right, so all right, I'm, well, Barton, I'm sure there's many more uh, I like billionaires it. who have. Places. So listen, Barton, I want you to give us a fun fact about Hawaii, or I want you to make like, a personal attack on Matt Ray. Either way, to end the show. But before you do that, I did a little homework before before this. I'm let you gather uh -oh. your thoughts. I'm going to give you two fun facts about Hawaii that I've I either know or I that learned you've, or you made up. Uh, one is because uh, we were talking about this. 
What is the official spelling of Hawaii? So here is the official answer. Uh, because sometimes you see what I would have described before learning this, that uh, Hawaii has like an apostrophe sometimes in it. But here's what I learned. One, uh, according to the uh, Statehood Act of 1959, the official spelling of Hawaii is just Hawaii without any apostrophes. That is uh, as we know it. But when you see Hawaii spelled what would I would consider an apostrophe, it's after actually called the Okina is what I believe it's called, which is oh, a I special shared that with you. I, uh, I sent you that this is a special Hawaiian character that you can uh, that you put into it. And if you want to know how to type it on uh, your Mac and maybe Barton can explain it, you do option and then you do like the tick signal uh, assign, which is right next to the one key. And that will bring up the Okina, if I'm saying that right, uh, character. So you can type it. And that is basically uh, uh, the official spelling, I guess, from the Hawaiian alphabet. So if you are trying to represent the Hawaiian culture, that's when people use that spelling. And for whatever reason, I often see it on ESPN. So that is one fun fact. And the second fun fact, since you mentioned 808, uh, there are two very famous NFL quarterbacks right now. There's Tua, plays for the Miami Dolphins and Marcus Mariota plays. Uh, I don't know. I think he's actually a free agent, but he won the Heisman Trophy. Played at Oregon, some other places. If you notice their face mask, they have a face mask that uh, they specifically had built, and it is in the shape of the 808. So they have bars oh, really? on uh, on wow. each side of their, uh, if you will, their face mask. It makes a little eight on one side, the big zero in the middle, and then the eight there. So that is, you, if you ever see, usually a Hawaiian football player, um, they will often, especially if they're quarterback, they will often uh, be wearing that face mask. That's sort of an 808, a thing that Hawaiian players have brought both to college football as well as the NFL. So those are my two fun facts about Hawaii. Now, Barton, I, I leave it to you to take us out on something interesting. Go ahead. Well, at first, I want to make a comment on the so you didn't pronounce it, but Hawaii is how you pronounce it. And if you pronounce it even more traditionally, be Hawaii, right? Because the W is it becomes a V, not when it's in the front of a word like Waimea or Waimanalo, but when it's. And I don't know if it's always when it's within the word, but the, the W becomes a V. And then as, as they described it, um, that character you're talking about, you pronounce it as if you would the word uh-oh, right? It's like taking taking a oh, pause. And good so to know. Got you, it. You, mm-hmm. you have it that way. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to think who else. When I was a kid, uh, Mosey Tutupu, and I don't know if his son then played for the Seahawks. Right, and of course, Barack um, Obama is the one we're leaving out here. He's probably well, the yeah. most famous well, no, he, uh, person. I don't know if he's from Hawaii, officially from, but obviously yeah, no, childhood he's, in Hawaii. He is born in Hawaii. In fact, if you put my birth certificate next to his, they look pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> um, yeah, he was a big uh, uh, hip and groovy senior when I was a freshman, so um yeah he definitely he was there and he was born there uh let me think what are their fun facts well you know i've told you a lot about them uh some of the cool things but i just think the fact that it's it's got its its own language uh there's only 13 letters eight uh, consonants and five uh vowels it wasn't a written language it was a spoken language uh there's a hawaiian lore is 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 fascinating with all the all of the mythology and and um stories that, that come from that uh big whaling thing that was one of the biggest things um what else can i you know those are I those are some fun I facts we've done I mean, it. all right any other uh do you, any personal attacks on matt ray before we close out oh no matt's too nice a guy i can't uh and you know he and really i should be attacking you because you were the one who said that he, you deferred to him about hawaii i mean i, I you know he didn't i don't know he, he was the only one on the, the podcast person. with me at the time so there was no one else well yeah and to. so remember when there's something about australia yeah yeah call me and i'll and i'll just make stuff up all right well until next time 
Barton. Thanks for being on the show. And to everyone else, aloha. Mahalo nui loa and aloha. <laughs>